Good morning, church. How fitting it is to worship the Lord together, church. Uh, there's no place I would rather be on the Lord's day than with God's people, uh, worshiping him because he is so worthy. And to do things like write our name in the Lamb's book of life, what else, what else, is, what else is left to live for him here on this earth that he's given us. We, uh, it's an honor for me again to uh, bring God's word to you this morning. Um, if you could please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we thank God for his inspired word. It was the psalmist who said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Where would we be without God's word we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 15 from verses 1 through 20, and I'll be reading from the ESV, and I just ask the congregation uh, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, and it says this, this is the Word of the Lord. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I just pray, Father, that 
You help me to preach what you have given me, Lord, that you take these uh, small fishes and loaves and would you multiply it so that we can uh, feed on what you have to say to us in your word. We pray, Lord, for open hearts. We pray that you would do what only you can do, which is open blind eyes and set captives free. And so we, we are, are, are expectant, Lord, not because uh, you're supposed to do this, but because we know that you're a good God and that, Lord, you are faithful and you are the one who does these kinds of things. You're the one who opens our hearts. And so we thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I remember when I first started driving about 20-something years ago, one of the things I, I struggled with the most was parallel parking. We lived in uh, Jersey City, which is uh, far more crowded than the Poconos. And I remember quite a few times trying to back up into a parking spot. And I would either bump into the curb or lightly tap the car behind me. And if there was not any curb, sometimes even a fire hydrant. And they didn't have backup cameras back then. I just had to use my mirrors and develop my understanding of parking geometry. And sometimes I just had to get out of my car and physically go check how far I was from the curb. I had to find ways of working through the blind spots that come with operating a vehicle. Another lesson I, I remember about blind spots and driving is that a car could be close enough behind you on either side and you can't see him from your side mirrors. And if you only rely on your side mirrors, you can cause an accident when you're trying to switch lanes. And so they tell you hey, before switching lanes, always turn your head to quickly glance at the rear uh, side window to make sure that no one's in your blind spot. And even as parents, one of the things my, my wife and I uh, do once our teenagers get their driver's permit is to help train and prepare them for the road test. And hopefully they'll learn how to safely operate a vehicle uh, and be mindful of their blind spots. Now there's a big difference between having blind spots and being blind. You can have blind spots and still drive a, a car. But if you're blind, you cannot drive a car. And, and you certainly can't teach someone else how to drive a car. And, and just to emphasize the absurd, you certainly can't teach another blind person how to drive a car. And so now it, it's, it's one thing to be physically blind uh, and we all, to some extent, have some blindness. We all have blind spots. But it's, it's quite another thing to be spiritually blind. The disciples had spiritual blind spots. But they could still see Jesus. And the longer they walked with him, the wider and clearer their vision of him 
became. But the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 15 were spiritually blind. Perhaps one way to think about spiritual blindness is that your blind spots are so big, so huge, that regardless of what little vision you may have, you are, in essence, legally blind. And they were attempting to lead other spiritually blind people. And Jesus told his disciples what the outcome of that would be. He said, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And as we look more closely at this account, I, I want us to see and understand the effects of spiritual blindness so that we can know what teaching is false, yes, and, and avoid it, but also so that through his word and his spirit, we can better understand our own blind spots and improve our vision of Christ. The title of my message this morning is Spiritual Blindness and Blind Spots. There's a lot that can be said about our passage this morning in Matthew 15, but I'd like to focus on at least three main points. And the first one is this. Spiritual blindness can have religion but still miss Jesus. You can have religious activity, religious zeal, passion, and even discipline, yet still miss Jesus. Well, the Pharisees and scribes had all of that, yet they still missed Jesus. They were blind to who he truly was, and so they rejected him. And Matthew 15 opens with the Pharisees and scribes coming to Jesus from Jerusalem. In other words, these were not your garden variety, run-of-the-mill Pharisees and scribes. No, these were of the high-ranking sort. These came all the way from Jerusalem. This was like a formal delegation. And actually, Matthew 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 34, tells us that Jesus was in the city of Gennesaret with his disciples, and they had actually come there by boat from the other side. The other side was where Jesus had just fed the 5,000 miraculously. And he had sent his disciples ahead of him by boat so that he could dismiss the crowds and actually spend some time praying alone. And in that boat ride was when he came to them walking on the water. And when Peter walked on the water too. And also when Jesus pulled him from the water, when he doubted for a moment after seeing the wind and the waves. And when they got back into that boat, the wind ceased. 
and all those in that boat. Verse 33 of chapter 14 says they, they worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. All of this and more is what the disciples had already seen. They had already seen all of this of Jesus. And all of this was part of their existing vision of him. That was the boat that arrived in Gennesaret. And verse 35 of chapter 14 says that the men of that place recognized him and they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. The word about Jesus spread and people were bringing their relatives and their friends so that they could just touch the hem of the garment of Jesus and they could be healed. That was in Gennesaret. And that's probably how the Pharisees and scribes came to find out where he was because they had sent out everyone. The healer is here. Bring, bring the sick. What a contrast between Gennesaret and the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about 100 miles away. So the Pharisees and scribes walked about 100 miles by foot, which is a several-day journey. That's like walking from here to the Bronx. That's a serious mission. That, that takes real dedication. And yet, when they get there, they, they ask Jesus a question. But it wasn't to hear his wisdom and learn from him so that they could, by, by God's grace, follow him better. No, no they had a, a complaint against him. And they expressed it as a religious question about his disciples. They came from a hundred miles away and asked Jesus this in verse 2 of chapter 15. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. But you see, that, that was the wrong question. It, it was a question that revealed their spiritual blindness. And Matthew shows us through these various chapters that after all these miracles that Jesus had done, the disciples are increasingly getting a wider vision of Christ. And they're increasingly confessing him as the Son of God while the Pharisees are increasingly asking the wrong questions and increasingly opposing him. When this question came, it, it was just so wrong by contrast. It wasn't a question that, that came from a place of humility or even from a desire to see Jesus more clearly. No, in their hearts... They came to correct and fix Jesus. But of course, they were the ones who were in error. 
They were willing to travel a long distance to defend their religion. You can travel a hundred miles or a hundred thousand miles and win converts to your religion and yet still miss Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Spiritual blindness can have religion and still miss Jesus. Do you have religion without Christ? Do you trust in the rules you keep or the religious activities you perform and the zeal with which you perform them? Is your religion just based on strong views? You argue about this issue or that issue? Spiritual blindness can have religion but still miss Jesus. Secondly, spiritual blindness trusts in its own unbiblical traditions. The Pharisees and the scribes were zealous for their traditions. And they had a problem with Jesus because his disciples did not adhere to what they called the traditions of the elders. The traditions of the elders was another way of saying the oral law of the Pharisees or the oral tradition. They were man-made interpretations and extra rules that they added to fence the law. In other words, they were designed to try to keep people from breaking God's law by setting up a whole outer structure of additional rules around it so you don't get even close to breaking the actual law. And they taught the oral tradition as if it was divine revelation, as if it had the binding authority of Scripture. And many Jews believe that the oral tradition came from God, but Jesus referred to it as your tradition. So they came to ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat bread? In their eyes, to not wash before eating was, was a transgression. It was, it was crossing the line. It was sinful. When I was growing up, my mother was very big on hand hygiene. Whenever we would come home from the outside, one of the first things she would say is, go wash your hands. But just so that we're clear about this text, this has nothing to do with hand hygiene. They weren't even thinking about that. They weren't thinking about microbes or bacteria. They, they didn't even know anything about that back then. This was, this was not about that. This was about ceremonial washings. This was about trying to have ceremonially clean hands before touching any food and then, and then eating like defiled food therefore defiling the body. But where did they even get this idea? 
they took the ceremonial rules about washing in Exodus 30 that God had given to Moses for Aaron and the priests to perform tabernacle service. And they applied that to every Jew. That They made these washings a requirement for every Jew before every meal. But the problem was God didn't command them to do that. And they taught that he did. So in this way, they elevated a tradition which misinterpreted Scripture and made it binding as if it had God's authority. And so in seeking to enforce their traditions, they asked Jesus why their disciples were breaking it. But in verse 3, Jesus didn't even answer their question. I love how Jesus just does that. Instead, he turns the tables on them with his own question. And it says, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God? Commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Who can question that to honor father and mother is an important command? It's one of the most basic, uh, almost maybe even one of the most known ones of the second tablet. But, and part of honoring mother and father means an obligation that, that families have to, to care for them financially and personally in their old age when they, when they can't care for themselves. But one of the ways these traditions made void the word of God was to permit people to say, Mom, Dad, I, I'm sorry, but the money that uh, would have gone for your care has been given to God. It's been pledged to the temple. It's Corbin. And this tradition said that once you made this vow, you're no longer obligated to honor your aging parents. In fact, you can't break the vow and change your mind. That would be a serious sin to break the vow. And so in this way, a person would be released from caring for their aging parents. And by evading this responsibility, they really were keeping the money for themselves. This disgraceful behavior permitted the commandment of God to be violated. And Jesus proved to them from just one of their many man-centered, lawless traditions, that they were not, in fact, living according to God's word at all. They elevated their tradition to the point of nullifying Scripture. Now, this doesn't mean that all tradition is bad. A tradition simply means something handed over from one person to another. In fact, Paul uses the term tradition 
to refer to the teachings that have been handed down to uh, his uh, fellow Christians. Things Usually it means things like customs, practices, and, and teachings. Many families, including ours, for example, celebrate our kids' birthdays with cake, candles, and singing happy birthday. That's a tradition. Um, that's not commanded in Scripture, but it's not a bad tradition. It doesn't violate any principles of Scripture. And there are other good traditions, like praying through New Year's Eve into the New Year's. That's a tradition my mom handed to me since we were young. And that's not commanded in Scripture to reserve that very moment, but it's okay to do. It's permitted. Traditions that uplift, clarify, and rightly apply Scripture are all good. The problem comes when you trust in unbiblical traditions, when your tradition nullifies, when it makes void or cancels out the Word of God. And yet, traditions can threaten to gain higher prominence than the Word of God. And so we must always take care that our traditions do not nullify the Word of God. Always subject what you do to God's Word. And this is a good place to ask a question. Have you been blinded by a tradition that makes void the Word of God? Are there ways of thinking handed down to you that excuse you from obeying the commands of God? The tradition of the Pharisees and scribes nullified the word of God. It, it permitted them, it excused them, it permitted them to violate the clear commandment of God and they taught others to do the same. And in verse 7 to 8, Jesus said this, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Spiritually blind people who trust in their own unbiblical traditions. Although they may honor God with their lips, although they may talk about obedience with their mouths, are actually hypocrites because their heart is far from God. They worship God in vain. They teach man-centered theology as if it were the true doctrines of God. They practice and teach others to take shortcuts to holiness. Just follow this list and you'll be fine. That's a lot easier than pursuing true holiness. You know, the Pharisees are known for their fastidiousness. Maybe I shouldn't use that word. For their, um, see this when I go off script. For their intense uh, keeping of the law. And yet, it wasn't really that they were keeping the law. When we, when we go deeper, they weren't keeping the law. It's a lot easier to follow a list than to die to yourself. Than to uproot the sinful 
systems in our hearts. Spiritual blindness can have religion but still miss Jesus. Spiritual blindness trusts in its own unbiblical traditions. And thirdly, spiritual blindness doesn't see that defilement is a matter of the heart. I mentioned earlier that Jesus didn't answer the Pharisees and scribes' question to him about his disciples breaking the tradition of the elders and eating with defiled hands. That's how Mark 7 puts it in the parallel version. And to us in our time, these rules about ceremonial washing and eating, they seem totally irrelevant because it's just not something that we deal with today. I mean, I always get flashbacks of my mom saying, wash your hands, but that's not what it's about. We just don't have a, a similar kind of concept that we're dealing with. But, but it was something that Israel needed to understand in that moment. And in verse 10, it says, and, and, and he called the people to him and said, this is Jesus. He knows that they need instruction about this matter. He calls the people to them. And he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Now, he doesn't say this to the Pharisees. He never, really, he never answered their question directly to them. He calls the people, remember the people of Gennesaret, the ones who went out and said, hey, bring, bring the sick. He calls them so that they can hear and understand what is the right teaching on the matter of ceremonial washings and food. They don't need to follow the tradition of the elders that these Pharisees speak of. They don't need to eat this leaven of the Pharisees. They don't need to walk around joyless, fearful, and unsure of what truly defiles a person. They don't need to be fooled by how religious these fancy-robed Pharisees look. And it's interesting when Jesus called them hypocrites and said that Isaiah had prophesied about their empty worship. Nothing in Scripture tells us that they were offended by that. But as soon as Jesus exposed their false teaching to the crowd, it says in verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Which one? The one that exposed their error and false teaching to the crowd. The one that went against their traditions in front of everybody. Then they were offended. But something else is likely happening here too. It seems that Jesus is removing a blind spot for his disciples. Even as he's doing so for the crowd. One commentator wrote that the disciples were perhaps burdened with lingering respect for those they have considered holy teachers. It's normally unwise to disrespect an influential leader or influential leaders that come to you in, in a big collective. But Jesus judged it necessary. 
The disciples and the crowds must discern that these are unreliable teachers. In other words, let me take this burden from you. And he said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. At the end of the day, trust the sovereignty of God. If my heavenly father has not planted them, they're going to be rooted up. Don't worry about them. Don't worry that they're offended. Let me tell you what they are. They're blind guides. So just let them alone. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This is a truth we need to hear. And if we struggle with lingering ties to things in our past that we used to esteem, but which God exposes as false, hear what Jesus tells his disciples. If my father has not planted it, it's going to be uprooted. Don't look back with affection. Let them alone. They're blind guides, and blind guides will fall into a pit. And then Peter, I love Peter, the usual spokesman for the disciples. He asked Jesus on behalf of all of them, I really believe, and he said this, explain the parable to us. I'm so glad he asked that question. He often had the, the courage to verbalize what the others were thinking, but they didn't have the courage to say. So I'm thankful for Peter. Explain the parable to us. In other words, Jesus, help us with our blind spots. We can't see clearly yet here. What should we be thinking about eating with unwashed hands? What's this business about how it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of it? Remember, Peter dealt with that issue quite a bit. And here our text presents us with one of the most important points we can ever come across. A point so urgent, we simply cannot afford to ignore it. It's the answer to the question, what is it that defiles a person before God? And Jesus replied to Peter's request in verse 16, and he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The word defiled means to make something unclean or polluted, to desecrate, to make common as opposed to holy. So to know what defiles a person is to recognize that man has a very big problem in his hands, so to speak. But his biggest problem is actually not with his hands but with his heart. Because when it comes to the question of what defiles a person, what it is that makes him unclean before God, 
you must go beneath the surface. You cannot simply deal with matters external. No amount of hand washing will fix this. You must get to the root of the issue. And when you do, you will find this saying to be true. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. In other words, our biggest problem is the inner defilement. The source of our defilement, the source of our sin is our own heart. Our hearts are polluted before God. And there's a bit of rebuke in Jesus' response to Peter. They've seen much of his works. And, and by now, they should have known that it's not the food that goes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth, which is what comes from the heart. And yet, I love Jesus. He still removes this blind spot for the disciples. Hebrews 12, 6 says, He disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He helps us with our blind spots. Yeah, the ones that we should know better. We should know better. We should know that. But I love that he asked the question and Jesus still takes the time. See the difference between blindness and blind spots. How clean or unclean are you? Jesus tells us there's two places to look. Your mouth and your heart. What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your heart? According to Jesus, this is what comes out of the human heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's the starting point. Murder. Adultery. Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I think it's good to read the law of God and pause. Because there's a work that the law of God does and it's designed to do. Verse 20 says, these are what defile a person. And, uh, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The answer to the question in the beginning <laughs> to the disciples. You know, earlier he used the, the fifth commandment about honoring your father and your mother. And now he really uses all the rest of that second tablet of the law. Evil thoughts, that's what starts it all. Murder, that comes from the heart. If you, if you hate, you're already guilty of murder. Adultery and sexual immorality begins in the heart. Just looking with lust, you're, you're guilty. Theft. There's so many ways people steal. We can come up with so many ingenious ways to steal. Steal time, steal this, steal that. False witness and slander are all sins of speech. All of these things defile a person and they come from the heart. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man, every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Man's greatest dilemma is this inescapable reality right here that his heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Some translations say desperately wicked. Who can know it or understand it? And that God who judges without partiality, without partiality, will search and test your heart. And he will give you according to the ways of your heart and the fruit of your deeds. That's the word of God. Now, this truth will either humble you and cause you to cry out for a savior, for a mediator, for the mercy of God, which can only be found out in Christ, or the pride of your heart will cause you to believe that you're well-suited to the task. That you can have religion without Jesus. That you can trust in your own unbiblical traditions. That you can have a list, however long or short you make it, and say that pretty much everything checks off. Spiritual blindness doesn't recognize that defilement is a matter of the heart. But if you would have Jesus... You must recognize that your heart and mouth are defiled apart from Christ. That I've broken all of your commands. And if you were to judge me just based on my mouth and heart, I would stand condemned. Isaiah cried out in his vision, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Our hearts are not clean enough to be right with you. What we need through the Holy Spirit is for Jesus to give us broken and contrite hearts, circumcised hearts, clean hearts, pure hearts, new hearts, and sincere hearts so that we might believe from the heart and obey from the heart so that Christ may dwell in our hearts richly through faith. Only Christ can cleanse and make clean what is unclean. Turn to him in faith and repentance if you would have him. If he is your savior, then Psalm 139, 23 to 24 is an invitation for God to show us our blind spots. It says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Help us to get a better vision of you. That is the cry of the Christian. Help us, Lord. Only you can help us. We're going to come to the Lord's table this morning to celebrate communion together as a body, to partake of the Lord's Supper. As the ushers prepare the elements and bring them to the front, Pastor Reggie and Deacon Ray are going to come up to prepare to serve the elements to us. Communion is a very special and sacred meal that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his church. It is the Lord's Supper because it belongs to the Lord. And he presides over this meal. It is his to give and ours to partake in. And he gave us this meal as a gift, as a gift to nourish our souls so that we would celebrate our intimate union and our ongoing relationship with Christ. We, we celebrate how the Lamb of God brought us near to God. Thank you, Lord. Communion is, is for believers only, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, We'd ask that you just abstain from the meal. And we do pray that one day you will join us in this celebration. Amen. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you will join us in this celebration today, the ushers will guide each row down the middle. And you can come and be served the elements and take them back to your seats through the outer aisles. And as the music ministry sings, let's examine ourselves before the Lord.